You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Real Men Feel is brought to you by The Good Men Project. Visit goodmenproject.com for more of the conversations no one else is having. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. And, you know, September, maybe you don't know, September is National Suicide Prevention Month here in the United States. And September 10th was World Suicide Prevention Day, which actually strikes me as a little bit odd. I think we should prevent suicide every day. It shouldn't be uh, just assigned to one day, but, but I digress. You know, I've shared my experiences with depression and suicide attempts many times in the show and in my writings. And... I've also lost family members to, suicide, to suicide. My grandfather and my great grandmother both killed themselves. And I lost my dad just last summer, last July, and he succumbed to cancer, but had lots of suicidal talk um, plans. And you know, if he had, if he had taken his own life, it, it wouldn't have been that big of a shock to me. Um, but with all that said, I, I really wanted to do some more to, to bring the, the stigma of suicide into light, to, to get more people talking about it, to realize that it is preventable, and uh, you know, just to get more open dialogue. That's the big part of why I started the show. And today I'm, grateful, I'm really grateful to have a guest who unfortunately is a member of a club that nobody wants to be in. He's, he's a survivor of suicide, meaning he's lost a loved one to suicide. But I'm pleased to welcome mental health advocate Zach Williams. How are you doing, Zach? Hi, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. It's a, it's a sunny day in Los Angeles, and uh, the day started off right, so I'm happy to be here and to be speaking with you. Awesome, awesome. And so it's been just over four years since you lost your dad to suicide. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And is that something growing up that were you kind of concerned that that, that might happen, or was it just a complete shock out of the blue for you? Oh, it was... Out of the blue, um, he had been struggling with depression and pretty severe anxiety throughout most of his life. And later on in life, he uh, received a, a, a neurodegenerative disease diagnosis, uh, starting with Parkinson's. Uh, and you know, after his passing, found out that he had Lewy body dementia and um, and so I'm not sure what role that played within him taking his own life but it certainly 
think magnified his uh, his feelings in terms of you know how he was dealing with his own depression and um, I think it, it, in general it was uh, it was very challenging for him to uh, experience kind of the day to day struggles associated with depression and also feeling isolated with his diagnosis and and so forth so when you were growing up was were the uh the issues of anxiety and depression were they talked about openly or is it all just kind of did you keep it quiet um a little bit i i think he was very focused on his career and in entertaining he, you know he was a comedian and actor and entertainer and so he very much wanted to continue to be able to perform and 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 please his audience and and make them laugh and 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 so he wasn't terribly open about his struggles specifically with depression so the and is, as kids, we're really perceptive. Um, so, did did could you kind of know that yeah, that dad's not right today, or could you kind of read his mood better than whatever, despite any mask he might put on? Uh, yes. And my siblings, my family, and I were were always made it very clear that we were there for him. But um, he was very good at at putting his, you know best face on when it came to dealing with his day-to-day struggles yeah yeah cool and i wonder at what age did you realize that kind of your dad's job and lifestyle was was different than than most families oh at a very early age you know and since kind of my earliest memories it it had been kind of unusual to be (laughs) dealing with and experiencing a very uh a very uh public figure as a as a parent and uh i, I wouldn't say i thought of i mean for me it was normal but as I, because i grew up in san francisco and i didn't grow up a, around kind of the media and entertainment world my day-to-day life was pretty normal and then when it came to dealing with kind of more the entertainment celebrity world that was unusual to me hmm. so did that um let's see did, did that make growing up the kind of the uh, and i know you can't compare it to growing up some other way but did, but did that bring its own challenges for you that that public spotlight well sure you know when you're the son of a public figure it, it's hard to reconcile being able to uh share your time with the public Mm. you know that's not the easiest thing and especially as you're growing up and and wanting to you know wanting a parent there for you at all times and and that wasn't always the case so and you know there was when he was present it was very um he was very present um but again there's a sharing component that Mm. wasn't always easy so you, did you feel like you had a close relationship, but then there was also just the poles of kind of everything else? We were very close. Yeah, cool. Awesome. And in, your, your dad had 
a lot of public challenges with addiction as well. Were you kind of aware of that? Was that talked about at all when you were growing up? Well, uh, when I was growing up, he was not active in, in using at all. Um, so when he did start using again, I was a young adult and during that time it was very clear. Um, but from, you know, early childhood on through my teens up to adulthood, it was not an issue. I knew that he didn't use and had used substances in the past, but it's not something that we witnessed or experienced as a family. He was, he was fantastic as a dad present and, uh, and affectionate and uh, considerate throughout my childhood. Cool. And I, there's a, uh, there's a recent documentary uh, that came out in July, I believe, Come Inside My Head. Mm -hmm. And and I saw a line from you in, in that. Um, you, you're talking about that your your dad didn't always feel successful, but to you, he was the most successful person that you knew? Yes. <laughs> so, so I wonder, did, did you define success or see success in a way uh, differently than, than he did? No. Uh, well... Actually, yeah, I think it, for him, success was very much based upon validation. And so it's not necessarily about money or fame. It's about whether he's able to delight and please his audience. And if he felt like he wasn't doing that, then he would have a tough time. Mm. And, and growing up being his son, when he was deal having a tough time, how did that affect you? Like, did 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 you notice? Did, or was he? Did did you kind of only see him when he was like at his best and able to portray him himself at his best, or, or what was that like? No, we saw him. I saw him throughout the spectrum of <laughs> his <laughs> moods and emotions. Um. So. Um. It was hard to see him struggle at times, especially, especially when he felt like he wasn't pleasing or, or exciting or delighting his audience, you know, whether it came down to a film or performing. And so if a film wasn't performing well, or he performed and he felt like he, he, wasn't engaging his audience, that would be really tough for him, mm. as it is for many entertainers. It's not, it's not unique. Right. It's just, I think, in many ways, there are different modes of success. There's you know, financial gain, there's notoriety, there's fame, but, but in the sense of you know, an entertainer who really wants to go out and engage an audience their audience it can be really challenging when that audience might not respond in the way that you want them to respond and in your own life and in your um growing up in adulthood and, and jobs and career choices you never played with an idea of going into entertainment or, or did you 
Uh, a little bit. You know, I did take acting classes and, and did explore it, but my career, my background is in, in business, technology, and media. And so, um, so that's what I felt. I felt more comfortable behind the scenes developing marketing products than I did out in front of the camera. Yeah. And, and would, would, was that consciously at all due to kind of seeing um, his, his struggle with, with, you know, that, again, that, that, that need, that quest for validation? Did that, have, um, did that affect you in terms of how you wanted to, with the choices you made? Not necessarily. I, I just, I appreciate math and numbers and, and things like uh, you know, product development and marketing and business development. And so when it comes to doing stuff I love, it, it more so relates to developing and building experiences and products. So we talked about how the celebrity aspect of, of growing up and how you realized kind of that that was different and, and kind of had the, uh, a bit of push and pull dealing with the public. So, and again, there's no way to compare this, but it, it did the celebrity part of your dad's life, did that make, make his, his passing uh, harder? Well, it, it made it, Challenging. I mean, it's hard. The passing of anyone is hard, you know. Uh, so the thing you, that I felt was, I don't want to call it unique to my experience, but, but specific to my experience was having to sh share the morning with the, both in the public sphere and also privately with my family and friends and loved ones. So. Um, so often, and I've spoken with people in sim who, who've experienced similar situations, um, the, the private and public mourning can kind of become enmeshed, mm -hmm. and it, be it, it can become very difficult to tease those two apart. And when it comes to grieving publicly and sharing your experience with people who adored and, and loved and appreciated your parent in one in, in a specific way you know on screen or on stage and then dealing with the grieving in a private sphere they're two different things yeah. and i i didn't really understand that until a couple of years after my dad's passing and yeah. so so separating the two of those situations of grieving was something that I didn't do initially. And it was very hard because I was like, we, we want to, you know, I wanted to be there for people who were clearly suffering, you know, you know, his fans, et cetera. But, but that's not really my place in a lot of ways. I need to be there for my family. And yeah. so it's, that, that dichotomy was, was sometimes challenging to reconcile. And so it, it's not, it's like I said, it's not a unique situation, but it's a very specific situation relative to the passing of a, of a public figure. Right. Yeah. Cause I, and again, it, it's something you can only kind of experience, you can only explain once you've experienced it and lived through it. So it's interesting that, you know, it, it took years for you to, to, to see the, the separation that was needed. And, you know, it even sounds like, um, 
you know, your, your father's desire to always kind of please the audience was kind of passed on and that you were attempting to please his fans even in your own period of mourning. Well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it pleasing. I would, I would more so frame it as I have empathy and understanding of what his fans were going through gotcha. and wanted to um, share in that empathy and understanding. But when it, when it came to grieving, as a family, we, we, it's, a, it's a different thing. It's, it's a completely different thing. And, and I didn't initially understand that. Mm. And from talking to others who have, who have lost people to suicide, dying by suicide, it, it somehow makes it different as well. Did, did you, could you feel that at all? Did you notice that? Uh... Yeah, I think it was confusing for, for many people. Um, I, personally, I've struggled with depression and anxiety, and, and so I, I have some understanding of what he was going through, but um, the, I think there's just so many unanswered questions, and that can be challenging. You know, the whys of it, the... What could I have done? The how can I have been more supportive uh, for him? And and you know there are some regrets, but I'm also very thankful to to be part of a community of suicide survivors who can be supportive of one another. And um, I think it's really important to bring up the issue relating to suicide prevention right now at this point in time, because it seems like we have um, a bit of an epidemic on our hands relating to mental health and mental wellness and people feeling isolated. And I think it's really important to help um, develop, foster and support communities that are there for both suicide survivors and people who um, are impacted uh, in the in the greater community by by tragic events, and um, I feel that we need to we need to talk about mental health and mental wellness and bring it to the 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 um, the front of of uh, public dialogue and discourse because it, it, it's just very clear to me that. Um, considerations associated with mental health need to be addressed often and addressed early on. And, and people suffering alone and in isolation is, is just not acceptable. We, we really need to be able to help develop and foster support communities. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And that's why I'm so grateful that, that you're willing to, to come and that you're willing to speak and, and share your story and your experiences um, as much as you you do, because um, yeah, when I, when I was you know I was 17 years old and in my my first mental hospital after a suicide attempt, and nobody talked about it except for other kids in the hospital. So that just made me feel even more broken and and messed up. Like this is not something that normal people uh, these aren't ideas normal people have, and happy people were so much different than than I was. And part of why I as an adult started telling my story more and more was because like. I, even as a kid, like I didn't see anyone that ever talked about having kind of dealt with suicidal ideation and even attempts and coming through the other end and like being a happy grown up after that fact. And like, I didn't know that was like a possibility. Um, 
but I, I would love to talk about how the, the community that you did found. So you, you did reach out and you, you did found some local support from other suicide survivors? Yes, I have. I have. There's a, you know, I just moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles, but in San Francisco, there's, there's a great community of survivors who, who are extremely supportive of one another and also um, um, very proactive in sharing and developing supporting resources. Mm. Um, so, you know, in my mind, it's important to engage the topic around mental health and suicide ideation early. If someone is feeling it, they need to feel like they are supported and can be open about what they're struggling with. And I think the earlier in life someone can feel comfortable in sharing and discussing what they're going through, uh, the more opportunities there are for interventions and support. Mm -hmm. Yep, couldn't um, agree more. Yeah, so, so I'm involved with an organization called Bring Change to Mind, which is a nonprofit focused on addressing and removing the stigma associated with uh, mental health and mental wellness. Cool. And, and part of what they do, a big part of what they do is facilitating and developing uh, support groups and communities in high schools and universities throughout the USA. And it's become very clear that those discussions and communities that are developed earlier on in someone's life um, has proven to be a pillar of support and empathy and understanding. And that's key. Yeah, yeah, I find uh, uh, time and time again in, in my own life and in people I've talked with um, that that the willingness of one person to to share what's going on for them gives everyone else that permission to go, oh, oh me too, and I felt that, and you know, I got through that, and that that the supportive community is something that we just keep losing with with technology, with with isolation, you know, with people relying on social media as opposed to actual, you know face-to-face -face <laughs> real media, I guess, or lack of a better term, that that's where, you know, the most support comes from. And, you know, the ability to be just listened to and not have someone run away. You know, that was a big thing that I was afraid of as a kid, that someone would find out that I'm, you know, had these self-destructive thoughts and they wouldn't be my friend anymore or something like that. But, you know, and especially true for men that did this, the, the notion of the mask and just pretending everything's all right, even when it's totally not and you know, it couldn't be further from the truth, but um, this stubborn streak of refusing to, to admit it. But, yeah. but when we do, like there, there's support, there's comfort, there, there's help that can be there, there's resources. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, you mentioned the mask and the, the, the especially amongst men, the facade that we put up and, and it can be very challenging to break through that facade or to open up and expose oneself. And, and I think the dynamic is changing for, for the better in terms of people feeling more comfortable and opening up, but, but it's a, it needs to be continued sustained effort. You mentioned uh, bring change to mind. Mm -hmm. So, and that you actually co-founded that, correct? No, no, I didn't co-found. 
Oh, that's right. That the audience no, says you did. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it was it was co-founded by Glenn Close and a woman named Pamela Harrington. Um, Glenn Close, the actor, and um, Pamela Harrington is a mental health advocate and and nonprofit executive. Excellent. So, so Wayne, uh, where can people find out more information about about them and the resources they're offering? Sure. So Bring Change to Mind's resources can be found at bringchangetomind.org. That's Bring Change 2 is in the number 2, mind.org. Excellent. Yeah, and so you, there's PSAs, there's all sorts of uh, information around the curricula that are provided for students and facilitators. There's, there's a lot there. Cool. Excellent. Um, great one, and uh, we'll share that in the show notes. Wherever you're listening to the show, you'll find a link to that as well. If you uh, if you're not catching it, just listening. And you know, you had mentioned your own challenges with depression and anxiety, and I wonder if you're if there's anything you'd like to share about what's helped you the most in dealing with that. Sure, um, I managed to uh, treat and support uh, my. Well, sorry, can we start that again? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm just, I, I just want to be, be very specific in how I respond. That's fine. Yep, pick it up when you're ready. So I managed to treat my anxiety and depression through a healthy diet, some exercise, uh, therapy and support groups are great. Um, and, you know, I try to take supplements, you know, make sure that I have appropriate vitamins and things like that. Um, but but I, I don't take uh, uh, medication specifically for it. Great. So you've just found that, uh, again, not treating your mental health as if some other foreign part of you, <laughs> just taking part of taking care of all of you um, helps helps alleviate some of those those issues. Well, yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes you, one can feel like there's a catch-all that a pill will solve everything, and I really don't think that's the case. I think that it requires human connection, requires not loading one's body with you know, fat and sugar and alcohol or whatever it may be. You know, it's, it's all, those are all forms of medication, <laughs> just different types of medication. So... So I, I believe in balance. I believe in human connection. I believe in, the, in participating in communities and being open and receiving help when needed. Um, so there's not some secret catch-all for me. It, it just involves kind of a, a conscious, specific approach to managing my lifestyle. Great, great. And so I know after you, you lost your dad that you, you did find support in in funny you found support in support groups just just like they're meant to um but I, I wonder if there's anything that that you wish people that haven't had that experience could could understand about about losing your dad to suicide um can you can you be more specific yeah like like what specifically can can kind of be gained from that support group of people that have lived through that experience that that other people aren't, aren't getting like it, and maybe there's nothing but is there something that you, you wish people understood um about the impact on on you when you lose a parent to suicide 
Well, I, I don't think it, it's just specific to losing a parent to suicide. I think it can, it can relate to a number of traumatic events. But for people who have experienced traumas, it's important to not feel isolated and alone in, in your experience. So in sharing your story or hearing the stories of others, you can develop a shared understanding of what it is that you've gone through what other people have gone through and know that there are similarities and differences, but in each consideration, those can be talked through and people can feel heard. And just as I felt heard. Yeah. I, I, so I, I know in my own situation, so, you know, I, I was an adult when my grandfather ended his life and he had been held up to me as an example of someone that, that overcame depression and, and what a great model it was for you. So when, when he did end his life, I, like, uh, a lot of them, I, I took it personally, like it was like somehow like an assault. Um, and, and, and I've heard that from other people and that's, again, it's, it's like every death, um, any death can come be tragic and a surprise, but, but somehow suicide just it brings like an extra gut punch to it i find is is that kind of match your experience at all yeah i mean there was there's elements of anger associated with it tied into grief and and frustration um both in my own actions and feeling like i was helpless at times and also in being aggravated with all the questions that were out there that feel unanswered, mm. you know, so, so that's challenging. Yeah. And has that, have those kind of thoughts and, and the what ifs and why didn't I's and those sort of things, have those, have those faded away? No, I mean, they, they come at a different cadence. You know, when it first happens, when, when, when you're in the middle and the thick of things and there's all these emotions, especially dysregulated emotions, you're just, it's a, you're like a cork on an ocean, you know, and, and it's very hard to control one's feelings. And, and I'm not saying that one needs to, but over time, it, it becomes more of a, you know, the waves come. And, and I, I've, I'm very fortunate to... Um, have prioritized trying to take care of myself and my well-being, and, and that's an everyday process. You know, like I said, there's no catch-all, there's no magic pill, but the seas have calmed a bit, and it enables me to be introspective and thoughtful kind of how I how I went about you know the process, both the grieving process, but also my my actions relating to taking care of myself and supporting others. You know, when you're in the thick of things and when the seas are roiling, it's, it's, it's really hard to take a step back and say, hey, what, what can I do to support myself? Right. And I think often that's lost in the mix. And, and, and I feel like in this day and age, we feel, we feel I'm, I'm just going to speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I would feel that, you know, there was all these things that were meant to fill a hole in me. So, you know, food, you know, relationships, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be, they, they're meant to fill a, a hole that I was kind of, that felt something that was lacking in me. And, and as I start kind of peeling away the layers and realizing what, what is that 
what does that hole actually look like? It, it, it's actually, it's not, it can't be filled by just inputting, by just eating and drinking and all those things. It, it requires kind of a, a, a deeper connection to oneself and, and to others. And, and, and that's what I found to be most healing throughout this process. Yeah, I find that when you're when you're trying to put other things in that inner hole, it, it just falls right through. That the hole stays right. And so it's it's only let's call it a void. You yeah, know? good. Yeah, the the void remains, and the only thing that really heals it is that introspection. It and it's for me, it's it's it, you know being willing to feel the pain that that void is or what it's trying to hide. That's when it can it could finally close for me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. It sounds like you've had a similar experience, but but you know, everyone's experience is specific and and unique in many aspects. And the key thing is is finding those commonalities and really understanding what it is that we share as humans. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. key thing is, you know, and, and again, I'll, I'll refer to the void. I think the void is the best the best term for it. Um, is that you know, we're all seeking fixes and, and there's not a quick fix. I don't think there'll ever be. And so relative to that, it's important to really understand that it's a long sustained process and continuous road and journey. Cool. And, 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 and now four years later, are there, are there still things that catch you by surprise in, in having your own dad gone? Yeah, I mean, feelings and emotions crop up at the oddest times, you know, and it, it, it just, you have to, you have to feel them. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's what's behind the naming of the show. And, and that's what I find in my life. Like when, when you're, when I'm willing to feel whatever emotion is, the, the moment it pops up, it, it passes easier and quicker than I ever would have imagined, as opposed to trying to deny it or stuff it or decide this isn't the right time or place for this this feeling to be here um is, is that kind of jibe with your experience at all yeah yeah i think the key thing is also finding kind of safe places that you that one can feel comfortable and sharing and and finding kind of peace and serenity in those places if you don't have that then i, I would encourage you to find yeah. places that feel safe and, and serene. I'm not referring to you specifically, but just <laughs> in general. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> cool. Um, is, are there any other ways pr prior to your dad's death that, that, that suicide had impacted your life? Uh, yeah, so, so my cousin uh, took his life when I was 12 years old. Uh, he was a close friend of mine, and, and so that was my first real personal exposure to suicide, and, and that was really challenging to deal with as a you know a adolescent, early adolescence, pre-adolescent. I don't know. Right. So, so, we, so that was able, kind of first exposure, and that was really hard. Were you able to talk to someone at that time? Did did you did you seek support and get help then? Not in the way I should have, but you know, as a twelve-year-old, you're kind of you're still trying to figure out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I didn't get the support that I, I feel like in hindsight I should have 
received. So, so ideally, if someone's in that situation, if someone has their child and, and someone in their circle has, has, has uh, taken their own life, um, what would you uh, encourage the parents to do for that person? I would encourage them to be uh, proactive in providing resources focused on support and, and um, you know, therapy and, and you know, re- receiving the appropriate help because otherwise, you know, especially adolescents, teen, you know, young people, they, they can isolate and it can be a very alienating experience. And, and the key thing is, is to ensure that they feel loved and supported and that they have a path to healing and, and, and uh, community. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, I, I imagine it would have been pretty easy for you to kind of uh, coast through life as, you know, celebrity party boy, or you probably, you probably grew up a little bit premature to, to miss like just to live on social media and everything. But um, yeah, I, I'm real impressed, you know, talking to you and the way that you encourage others to seek help and, and the kind of work you've done. And, and I saw something else online that you were teaching classes at San Quentin at one time. Oh, I, I have in the past. Yes. Oh. Uh, yeah. Volunteering and service work are, are important to me. And I feel that, you know, relative to financial literacy, um, having the understanding of one's own finances and relationship with money is, is really important as a lot of people have um, challenging relationships with both. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I but, mean, Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, no, yeah, I was gonna say like yeah, economics and financial things are often you know a, a trigger for for depression and suicide. As, as again, especially among men as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it's, you know you you work in there, your work there with financial literacy was, you know, almost helping the same overall cause. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're they're related. Um, you know, people have a very interesting relationship with money and finances, but, and, and their personal finances. But, um, but no, I think, I think service work and volunteering and, and contributing to the greater good is, is it's part of my healing process and recovery process. And, you know, it's helped me cope with trauma and, and, and helping um, others I, I found to be helping me in the long run. So Relative to me being party boy, you know, there again, that's 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 feeding the void in a specific way, and it's just it's not fulfilling. And and you know, at the end of the day, I find meaningful work important. Yeah, and that's a big thing um, for depression, anxiety, and and that void is a, a sense of meaninglessness. So yeah, so I find if, when when you can take the focus off of ourselves and onto someone else, that that helps. Um, you know, it the, the the like the repetitious thoughts and the the churning mind of I'm not good enough, I can't do this, nothing works out, all that kind of crap in my own head. When I focus on someone else and what can I do for someone else, then that that stuff all dissolved at least for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think it, quieting the mind and and finding kind of a, a a peaceful place in one's head is one's own head is important. Um, I think something I don't do enough of is exercise. <laughs> you know, I, I always find that helps, but shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, I feel that just getting out there and walking and, and getting sun or just, just being out in nature is really important as well. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, I, uh, I know you've got a lot going on and I appreciate you making the time to, uh, to talk about this and, and in case someone hasn't figured out, you, you know, your, your dad was Robin Williams and I hope that, you know, the, the, the love and appreciation and affection that the world you know, still really has for him, um, you know, reaches you and still, you know, positively affects your family and that some of that can help alleviate the, the pain of his loss. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And, and, you know, it's a privilege to be able to be speaking to you today and it's important and, you know, I value what you're doing. Um, I feel that you're bringing hope and, and healing to people and, and speaking with them and, and, and sharing uh, their stories. Awesome. Uh, thanks again for joining us and everyone else. Thanks for tuning in wherever you're catching real men feel, please give uh, a share, a rating, a review, give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you and uh, be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to real men feel reach out to us at real men feel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel. Visit goodmenproject.com for more of the conversations no one else is having.